The following podcast is a part of the Spin Studio Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Happy Way. Welcome back to Flourish and Fulfill, Beautiful Women. Now, today I want to do a little trigger warning and a disclaimer on this episode. Throughout this episode, we discuss domestic violence and abuse. If this is something that you don't wish to listen to, please skip this week's episode and next week we'll be back with a different topic. I'm also just going to put here the number to call if you are seeking help is 1-800-RESPECT. Now, today's episode is all about a huge buzzword at the moment, which if you've been on Instagram lately, you'll see so many different accounts and quotes and how to spot, but the word is narcissism. Now, including but definitely not limited to love bombing or the textbook traits like gaslighting, how to spot red flags even when you're deep in that honeymoon phase of emotions. Before we begin, obviously you were called to listen to this episode. So I'm going to kind of like flip the segment on its head and give you two books that you must read. So even if you decide not to listen to today's episode, but you're interested in this topic, two books that you must read are Why Does He Do That by Lundy Bancroft and Gaslighting by Dr. Stephanie Sarkis. They are the most incredible books um, that'll really help you out. Now, it's so easy to get swept off into a romance with a narcissist. They love bomb the fuck out of you. They confuse you by gaslighting you. And then they belittle you and make you feel so teeny tiny that you become like a worthless shell of who you are. So in saying that, today I have brought on my friend and my coach, Nicola Lay, to today's episode because I know personally that she has helped so many women through this exact situation, navigating through all of this, as well as having her own personal experience. So firstly, welcome and how (laughs) are you, beautiful woman? Oh, I'm so excited to be back in here again this week. I'm really good. This week has been exciting having kids home from school and just, you know, being in all the throes of motherhood and stepping out of my coach mode. Oh, beautiful. How good is that? (laughs) Now, you coach hundreds of women, including myself and a lot of my really close friends, and you have a really great ability to see a situation for exactly what it is, red flag or green flag. And you're able to deliver that on a shiny platter for us to do whatever we wish. (laughs) And it's funny because you've done that to me so many times in both senses. You have literally said, this right here is a red flag and I'm not going to judge you no matter what you decide to do, but I have to tell you this is not okay. Um, So let's chat about today's topic. And I know that it's such a big buzzword. Like you can't literally get on Instagram at the moment without seeing something about narcissism. And I do feel like it's like the hot topic buzzword. So what has been your personal experience with um, narcissists within your own world and also the people that you coach? Mm. Yes, narcissism has crept up with me in many moments of my life. And I kind of need the listeners to understand that it is a buzzword, is a very overused word. Mm -hmm. And often it gets caught up with 
overuse as in if you look at someone you think oh they're really narcissistic or he broke up with me he's so narcissistic or you know such and such is this it could be ego yeah just saying or like, traits but yes. not necessarily narcissism yeah and so I also kind of really wanted to to tell the listeners that narcissism is actually a personality disorder mm. and it's very hard for someone who's narcissistic to go and get that diagnosed because they don't actually think that they're doing anything wrong but in my own life oh, sadly but actually I think the reason that I do the work I do today is that my father is a narcissist yeah. and my mum is still with him to this day uh, 47 years or something of marriage and she's the um you know the unfortunate person that's stayed with him and stayed with him by his side, loyal, you know, really loyally a whole way through. And I watched as a child and saw so many red flags. I reckon by the time I was 10, I kept saying to my mom, that's not okay. This isn't okay. I don't like the way that dad speaks to you. And as I got older, I got the opportunity to, you know, make my own decisions, to move on out, to, to to sort of grow my own life. And I kind of thought, I know what I don't want, but I kept attracting them in. Yeah, You know, my longest relationship of eight years, apart from my husband now, he was a full-blown narcissist and I loved him fiercely. If you don't mind sharing, no. can you tell us a little bit more about what that actually looks like in a relationship? Say, let's go your parents and then yes. your relationship with your ex. My father was captain in the Navy, so mm -hmm. real leader. And and I need everyone to also understand there's so many different varying types of narcissism. There's like nine nine types of like solid evidence of narcissism. You have to be able to tick five of those to be diagnosed as a narcissist. My dad definitely has ticked all of those. So he yeah. was captain of the Navy, leader, really strong personality, great guy. Everybody loved him. You know, party, party man, you know, would really lead good teams of men through through war situations and so on. Money hungry. Mm. I've got the power. You, you're not allowed to do that unless you ask. You mm. know, it was very strict upbringing. Um, I used to be in dread of him coming off sea. You know, he was at sea all the time. And when he would come home, the energy would be so different. My mom would go into this panic, you know, in the kitchen. Mm. You'd hear her like talking to herself, trying to rehearse what she was going to say to him. Mm. So her personality would change. And so he didn't mean it, but you could never win an argument with him. Yeah. You could never ask or have an opinion. Um he would manipulate situations. If we were at a dinner table with lots of other people, he would talk all of the time. Yeah. And if anybody talked, it would always come back to him. Yeah. And it used to be embarrassing. You know, you'd sit there thinking, God, let someone else speak, you know. Yeah. Um, and I saw a side of him that was aggressive at times. But it was confusing. So he was a confusing personality where I'd think, God, I really hate him. He's actually not that bad. Like he's yeah. my dad. I love him. You know, so it would be this push pull, push pull all the time as a kid. You know, one day he'd be a best friend, the next day he'd be this like sergeant major. Yeah. So you'd never knew where he stood. And ultimately, everybody that has got that that narcissistic trait comes from this sad upbringing of their own mm. that leads them into being this person. Mm. So I used to look at him and I think. 
God, you must have had it tough, you know? Yeah. Even as a child, I'd think you must something must have happened to you to make you become like this. It's that book that I keep sharing at the moment called What Happened to You instead of um, Why Do You Do That or something. It's What Happened to You. And that is the biggest statement ever, isn't it? Yeah. And often when you're brought up by a narcissist, you I used to be so worried that I was going to turn into the mm. narcissist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've worked really hard to keep checking in. But the point is, if you're worried about being a narcissist, you're not one. Because yeah. <laughs> you don't actually, you know, you're not going to turn into it if you're concerned about it. Because narcissists aren't concerned about what anyone else thinks. Yeah. And they don't really understand what they're doing. And was there any pattern or cycle within the relationship that you then attracted in with your ex? What was, was there a cycle that you guys went through in relationship? Yeah. I, I used to attract men that were really powerful yeah you know really knew their stuff like a knight in shining armor yeah you know my dad was that you know Mm. you'd look at him you go wow in his uniform you know come in and like scoop up mom and I'd be like wow you know that's beautiful yeah um and you get caught in the romance of that yeah so when I met my ex he was scooping me out of a situation where I was living in a bed sit you know no money yeah (laughs) you know because I didn't want to live with mum and dad and he scooped me up and saved me yeah you know we off we rode into the sunset on a horse you know that was my romancing I high dreamed him you know you listen to the (laughs) podcast with Brad I high dreamed him high expectation of him you know like he was this masterful person he was never physically Um, abusive to me but Mm -hmm. the mental side of it was just extreme Mm -hmm. you know things like I didn't put the bins out one day and those bins flew across the backyard and spilled all the stuff up now you'll have to clear it up and I would go in the backyard Mm -hmm. as a cabin crew waiting to get on a flight and then go and clear all this mess off in the backyard shaking and then the next day I'd get these big bouquets of flowers you know, yes, yeah, so that's the cycle of the abuse and then the love and then the oh, abuse you love. Yeah, mm. and and things like you can't wear that. Yeah, you look disgusting in that outfit. Yeah, you don't want men to look at you like that. So, what traits does a narcissist usually possess? Like, what are some of the textbook traits? Because usually, I know that in this book, it's literally dot points and so textbook in regards Mm -hmm. to if you have ever been in one of these relationships or red flag relationships you literally will read this book and be like oh my god I thought I was the only one so I think that when you're talking to someone who's a narcissist you'll realize quite quickly that they like to control a conversation they interrupt a conversation quite regularly because they want to bring it back to them so you don't usually end up talking very much when you're with someone who's in that leadership role as such they're not really that bothered about what your responses are they're Mm -hmm. thinking about what they want to say next Mm -hmm. they don't generally have any empathy for anybody Mm -hmm. um I just don't think it's in them they can't find that and they can often be quite outsmarting everybody you know you, you look at them and you think oh they're really intelligent you know I'm really lucky to be sitting with this person talking to them. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's laughable on reflection, but when you're there, you're like, ah. Yeah, they don't like criticism. So if you criticise them, you'll be just, you know, snapped right out of their life or they'll be just right hard on you. 
Usually, um, there's so many different variations of it. Some people that are narcissists can even be the other way, where they go into the victim mentality, mm-hmm. where everything's really, God woes me, you know, my life is tragic, this is what my story is. Mm-hmm. And they share their story continuously to mm-hmm. gain attraction. So they can be quite, um, go under the sort of, um, what would be the... Radar of what a narcissist typically would look like. Yeah, Yeah. so sometimes you can't always see that. And often then you get the other ones, which are the the most dangerous ones, which are, you know, a bit violent behind closed doors. They speak, they're quite aggressive in their personalities. And they kind of all mould into one with some of the the very extreme narcissist behaviours. It's interesting, like one of the first um, sentences in that book is that the... A, t- a typical textbook narcissist literally is the light of the room. Everyone's yes. laughing. They're witty. They're charming. They have the wall pulled over everyone's eyes. Um, and that's typically how a textbook narcissist would look. So it's so hard because how would you possibly pick that up? Um, they call it the cycle of like how a narcissist responds. So it's like the idolization, then it's the devaluation and then the rejection. And that that cycle is repeated over and over. And sometimes like our new age words or the buzzwords to like to that is love bombing, Mm -hmm. devaluing, and then gaslighting. So how do they fool you with smoke and mirrors and then suddenly change? Like how does that even happen and how do you not see that? I think they're really good at acting. They really step into the acting role. And often you'll find with anyone that's got narcissistic tendencies, and this is also females, by the way. This isn't just a male thing. This Mm -hmm. is I've come across a lot of female friends that Mm -hmm. are narcissists. I think that because they're really good at the acting, they'll find your weak points Mm -hmm. and then they'll, they'll just really talk to that. And it's then, that mirroring. Yes, you know, they're like really, oh, you know, I can see that that's really hard for you. And then next thing you know, they're using it against you. Yeah, okay. Um, but I think often that being in the acting role, they can mould their acting into any scenario that they're in. So, yeah. Scary. You, you feel like you don't really know what's coming next. Yeah. Gaslighting the term actually means psychological manipulation. Um. Do you have any examples of what gaslighting looks like? Like an example from a, <laughs> like a client? Or, uh, well, yeah, probably I could probably do my own one on this one. So my ex-partner of eight years was having uh, a few affairs I found on email. Mm-hmm. One of them particularly was a good one. And he was mod- he was dating this model from New Zealand. And anyway, he was living in America at the time. We'd been together a long time, got a lot of history together, a lot of property together. And I remember just ringing him saying, hey, you know, um, I just saw in your emails, (laughs) there's this beautiful girl that's just popped up on your emails and, you know, she's talking about wanting to wake up with you in the morning and, you know, and all these things. And he went, no, no, definitely not mine. That's not for me. That was someone else, someone else in the crew of the team that he was working in. And I'm like, no, no, it's definitely you. No, absolutely not. I think you've got it wrong. She's a really beautiful girl. No, definitely not. And I remember just thinking, coming off the phone and thinking, are you for real? Like, Mm. do you actually think that I'm so stupid that I'm not going to actually think that that's true? Other ways of gaslighting can be, you know, you're talking and then they they just cut you down straight away. They talk really like snap, you know, um, criticism on the spot. Or if you're in a group setting, they'll, they'll, 
you know, really um, judge you in front of other people. Yeah. Have you had moments where you feel like you've been gaslighted? I have been gaslighted heaps. Um, Mm. I guess for me, the gaslighting was sort of like that didn't happen or it's not as big as you're making it out to be. Yes. Or And I think those are the key things that unless there was other people there or unless there was cameras showing, it's kind of like you're, you would guess, you, you would second guess yourself yes. and you wouldn't trust your own judgment because you have been brought down so little during that space and time that you don't actually know what your reality is anymore. Yeah, you feel confused, yeah. don't you? Um, and then like the second cycle that we go into after gaslighting is the love bombing and hoovering. And I think this is such a hard one because I know I'm um, I'm 32 and a lot of my girlfriends are still single and they're through that dating phase. And seeing different people come into their lives as well has been huge and eye-opening. What is love bombing? <laughs> I guess they start the gift-gifting quite quickly. They, they sort of start to show and tell everybody how much they love you. They they start to really, you think, wow, I really mean something to that person. Mm. And really just saying how much you love someone, telling them everything that they've always wanted to hear. You know, this knight in shining armour, yeah. that you're looking at them going, oh my God, they truly see me. They love me. I've never felt like this before. They sweep you off your feet and yeah. you feel like you've entered into the biggest novel romance novel of your life so with that then how do we possibly see the red flags when we're in that honeymoon phase and like how is it not just sunshine and rainbows (laughs) like how do you actually see that clearly do you know what I mean like it's it's very hard to see that when you're swept up thinking life's amazing observe everything Observe what your friends or family are saying to you. That's a very interesting um, statement right there because a lot of women that I know, they're perhaps, they don't listen to their girlfriends because there's not that sisterhood. And like our other episode in regards (laughs) to sisterhood community is that when our friends tell us something, they're telling us because they genuinely love and care about us. And it's coming from a place of not jealousy. It's coming actually from a place of love. And I think that's where it's really important to have those beautiful friendships from um, the outside of being able to give you that feedback. I think also if you've got your boundaries in place and you know your core values, if that person that's arrived in your life love bombing you, if they don't align with those values and they don't agree with how you are portraying your boundaries to be, Mm. that is the biggest red flag right there. And if you compromise your values, you'll end up dissatisfied and feeling out of alignment really fast. Yeah. And then it's that feeling of like disassociation or just not understanding why you're feeling like that. Yeah, disconnected to yourself. So what about the green flags then? What if we're conditioned to like the red flags? What happens if the red flags are like more your thing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, yeah. green flags are something that people don't actually know too much about. Oh, let's go into green flags Yeah, then. green flags can be interesting. A narcissist is attracted to someone who's got assets, I mean, as in smart, beautiful, um, you might be, you know, someone that everybody looks up to. And that narcissist looking at you going, I want some of that. Mm. I want that. I want to see if I can, you know, and be careful how I say my words here, but they want some control. They want to play cat and mouse. Well, I'm actually going to say just quickly, the term abuse actually means power. So if there's an exploitation of power, that is abuse. 
It's a game. It's a game that they're playing. And, you know, if you are someone who's CEO of a, a company or you've got your own business or you're doing really well in life and you're single, you've got to really look at do they hold you up? Do they stand beside you and they're your biggest cheerleaders? Or are they trying to manipulate you and making you feel like, you know, you're losing your power within what you were before, who you were, like, you know, even a couple of weeks ago? Because it can happen as fast as that. Yeah. Yeah. So with those green flags, is that like relationship, um, like a perfect partner list? So like when we look into our relationship reflections or the patterns that we've attracted in previously, if we can see that we are continuously kind of attracting in these type of traits in somebody, are we able to then like build out a list of green flags that we want to see in somebody to be able to attract those in instead? I think so. I think you need to understand again, always coming back to what your core values are, yeah. pulling your list up on those. Like, what am I okay with? Yeah. What am I not okay with? And asserting those boundaries. Yes. If someone treats me like that, is that actually okay? Yeah. And if someone, and, and we'll go back to this phase again, they will always show you who they are. Yeah. It's whether you've high dreamed them, <laughs> you've made them feel like they, if you want to be saved, they're coming to save you. But if you, and usually like for me particularly, and, and I see it in lots of women, is that we all want the romance. Mm. We all want that feeling of being on a film set, you know? Who doesn't? <laughs> but often that attracts the wrong kind of guy in. So just on the higher dreaming, so I've spoken about this previously in regards to Brad. So higher dreaming is when, so you've got higher dreaming, lower dreaming, and then reality. And our lower dreaming is when no one, they can't do anything right. They're never good enough. They're always doing the wrong thing. Our reality is obviously the actual reality. Mm. And then higher dreaming is where no matter what they do, it's through rose-coloured glasses and they are just the bee's knees. They can't do anything wrong. <laughs> and so if you're having tendencies of higher dreaming and you can recognise that that's what you do regularly within your relationships, it's about swapping that over and really seeing that, that person as a lower dreaming task. And that's quite hard to do. Yes. And, you know, no, no person is perfect. So it's being able to see what you're looking at and really sort of seeing what things in them that might really start to agitate you or being able to question if something doesn't feel right in your gut. And I always talk about this with my breath work is that can you feel that something isn't right in your tummy or where mm. in your body when you're with that person? What do they make you actually feel like? And does it always stay like that? Where is it in your gut? Is something calling to you? Is there a whisper? Mm. We did an interesting um, thing together with boundary setting yes. and assert asserting ourselves in regards to boundaries and the things that we are willing to um, accept for our relationship and ourselves right down to like very, very basic human respect. Yes. Um, and that was so incredible to be able to do that. And I feel that if you are single and you don't currently have a relationship, that's a, such a good task to do of knowing what you're actually willing to um, have as your absolute baseline for your relationship. Absolutely. And when you meet somebody and you, and I even do this with some of my girlfriends when we're having like deep discussions is what, what, asking them what their boundaries are. Mm. Like, oh, we've been together a little bit of time, but it's just so that our relationship can grow and it can be on an evil you know, even level, mm. what, what's your boundaries? What's your values? Discussing what your values are, understanding whether they're totally polar opposite of yours. 
And, you know, if you see the words like power and <laughs> in those run. values, you're like, run for the hills. <laughs> Otherwise, money, it could cars. Be, yeah, that's right. And understanding, you know, you can see a lot in what someone writes down. Mm. And perhaps a narcissist won't be comfortable to write share. down or share what their values or their boundaries are. And then discussing them, mm. understanding what each other's love language is as well, like, you know, understanding what he he's going to bring to the table, and it's the same with friendships too. Yeah. Exactly the same. Like understanding what their values are, and then you can see where you're going from there. Yeah. So let's just talk about when you start questioning it, or perhaps you are in a relationship and you don't really know what to do or how to leave. So I know that the um, book that I keep referring back to is like, why does he do that? There's a whole chapter in there of like how to leave, and it's so eye opening, as it literally has a entire description of that I found so interesting because it is an entire description of what abuse actually is classified as. And I personally believe that a lot of women at home that may be listening will, and this is horrible, will be going, hmm, my partner actually does this. And I think that's really scary because we're so conditioned to accept And I know that I'm ragging on the men and I'm just going to say here, I fucking love men. I Mm. love dick. I am not, I would be a lesbian if I didn't like dick. So (laughs) trust me when I say I like men, I'm not ragging on men. No. The thing is though, is that it is statistically high. It's like 98% of perpetrators are male. So it's, it's, it is hard to refer to a woman in this sense, but we're so conditioned to accept poor male behaviour, that's simply not okay. But even when women go to talk to their friends about it, it's downplayed because it's downplayed in every single element of movies, television, um, the way that we interact with people, but it's simply not okay. I know that I actually asked um, on stories about six months ago whether uh, the women in my community had ever felt um, a sense of of coercion for sex. Do you remember that story? Yes, I do. 98% of women women said that they had felt pressured to have sex with their partner because they had either done something for them or they were coerced into sex. Now that is huge. I'm just going to put the number here again. And it is 1-800-RESPECT. It's a free service anytime, 24-7. And you can literally call them and they will talk you through any situation. And they are such a beautiful hotline to be able to um, contact. A quick little break here for me to slurp down my smoothie. Thanks to today's episode sponsors, which is, of course, Happy Way. I have been a proud partner of Happy Way for well over four years now, and I wouldn't even think to use another brand for any of my natural supplementation supplies. There's so many brands that are on the market, especially for protein powder, that add in additional fillers into their products. And there's not even a disclosure on the label. With Happy Way, I have full trust that the products are 100% what it says on the label, as well as knowing that the ingredients are scientifically backed and researched. And I even have so much trust in that that I would use this if I was pregnant and definitely for my kids. So besides the scientific evidence of the ingredients that they're using and the quality, they actually taste the best on the market. And that is from years and years of experience. My personal favourite flavours are coffee, which literally tastes like iced coffee, banana, which literally tastes like Nesquik, 
and vanilla, which is really good to add into just everyday smoothies or even oats or different cooking recipes as well. You can grab your packet now with a special episode discount code, which is SG25, and that gives you 25% off up until August 31st. So make sure that you get back to me and let me know what your favorite flavors are as well. And let's get back into the episode. Now, the term abuse means power. So if there's an exploitation of power, that is abuse. Yes. So it's so mind-blowing because, and I'm referring back to this because it's written by a doctor, and it's actually the guy that wrote this book. He works with um, domestic violence women. And when the men come to him for counselling from prisons or um, different programs, the first thing he does is contact their partner. I love this. So he doesn't even work with them direct. He contacts their partner and works with their partner. It's brilliant. Because he believes that all of the power and the problem is the fact the woman can't stand up to the male. So from this book, it's creating all of these incredible um, narratives from women. So yeah, really, really, really powerful. But in the book, it specifies that some exact behaviours that are abuse are He retaliates at you for complaining about his behaviour. So an example would be that he he has verbally abused you and you have been like, I don't like it when you do that. Yes. And he has retaliated at you and I I did that because of you doing this. Oh, you made me do that. Yep. Um, And let's bring that into a less um, violent example here that perhaps you um, scratched his car, he scratched your car and you had a go at him or something. And he was like, you made me do that because I was driving away angry. Yeah. Or um, have you got any other examples? It could be even something like, um, you know, being late for something and and they get really agitated with you because you're just, you know, should have been more respectful. I would prefer if you turned up on time. Well, that's all your fault. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so yeah. that's, a, that's a big one. So th- these are literally coming straight from the book. He blames you for the impact of his behaviour. Yes. Um, so one I saw of there in regards to that, an example was he has yelled at you in front of the kids and the kids are now crying. Yes, and mummy made me do that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a big one that I feel like a lot of women could probably relate to. Yeah, definitely. He denies what he has done or did. Yes, I've had that many times. He justifies his behaviour as making him react that way, which Mm. is what we spoke about before. He lays a finger on you or makes you fearful in any other way. Yeah, and that's a good one because often, you know, in a non-physical thing, it could be that they get right up into your face. Yeah. And they finger point or they just come way too close and they make you feel fearful because what's next? What's the next level of this? Or even the fear based around if you leave, no one will want you. Yes. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that physical violence. It no. could be the emotional manipulation of it of like, who's going to want you? Who's, who's going to believe, believe you? you? Yeah, a big <laughs> one. Because usually it's the who's going to believe you, who's going to want you, who's going to see you. Yes. Um, now there's also some dot points in regards to like early warning signs. And I thought these were good in regards to red flags, dating, all of that type of stuff. And these are but definitely not limited to talking badly of an ex if he's disrespectful um to about them and is talking about them that's a huge one if he's disrespectful towards you even joking yes 
um, is another one and never at fault or has addiction issues. Addiction issues is definitely something that I've seen with narcissistic behaviour where they've had their issues as childhood and then they've been trying to cope in, in the world as they've grown up and they've got used to doing addiction, you know, usage of alcohol, drugs, um, sex addictions. Um, and it's another form of them being able to release that feeling inside of themselves. Mm. Yeah, it's really quite sad, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really sad. So I personally believe that there's going to be a lot of women that are sitting at home that are thinking, hmm, this kind of sounds exactly like my current relationship. Yeah. And I know that it's really scary at the moment because of COVID and everything that's happening. Yeah. And if perhaps listeners are at home are in a toxic relationship and they don't really know what to do or how to get clarity, I know that some of like my personal steps would probably be to create space yes. because space creates that clarity. Yes. So how are they going to create space for themselves if they're stuck with their partner that's abusive? I mean, it, it's very difficult if you're in that situation. I would guess just taking time to say, oh, I'm going to do a meditation or I'm going to, you know, take a bath. But even then, some relationships are not even allowing that space for mm. that time. Mm. Yeah. So it's really um, being able to ask for space say I just need some space and then I'll be there for you and trying to create that separation so that you can actually start to think clearly about what you're going to do to be able to help yourself mm. and probably reaching out to um 1-800 respect by this stage as yes. well just reiterating yeah. that um the other thing that was really good that we've already spoken about was writing the list of boundaries but also encouraging them to do the same thing as well so that you're actually able to share your boundaries with each other because it then allows them to feel empowered as well yes it helps them not to feel like you're attacking them with, you know, you're the problem and I'm not. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, everybody is responsible for themselves. Mm -hmm. And in order to take control of the situation you're in, you need to take responsibility of enabling behavior or at least sitting in it and, and taking it. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's really easy for me to say that sitting here. But I think when you start to go, okay, I don't need to accept that. I don't need to put up with this anymore. And that's the first stages of saying, I'm going to do something differently here. Yeah. Yeah. Stopping what's not working. Yeah. The other um, massive one is confiding in a friend and creating a safety plan. Definitely. And I've definitely set up those places for women where we've sat down and we've gone, okay, what's your safe word? You know, how? who can you call when you're feeling at your worst moment? Mm. Who are those, you know, list of three people mm. having discussions with them about what that looks like and creating that plan. The other thing is the ex exit strategy. So if the boundaries are crossed, what is your plan from there? Which I guess is like the final step of that. Now, I know that we've spoken pretty heavily in regards to really bad narcissism and those really toxic, heavy traits. Yes. But let's say there's women at home listening and they are perhaps in a relationship where they're just not feeling fulfilled and a lot of what we have discussed is perhaps what their relationships are. And they're just like, how, how do I possibly... I don't want to leave this relationship. I want it to work. Yes. But what do I do to change this relationship? 
I think, again, it goes right back to sitting down and saying, I really love you. I really want this to work, but I actually want this to get better, don't you? And they'll always want to do that too. So then you're creating really good communication. You're really sitting into that moment of, you know, brushing their ego, making them feel really loved. And a narcissist really needs to be loved. Yeah. So when you're opening that door to invite them in to make them feel loved, they're going to be much more moldable to wanting to grow with you. And I need you to also know, listeners, that there is a healthy amount of narcissism in everybody. Yeah. Can a narcissistic relationship work? Yes. I mean, to a degree, as much as I absolutely <laughs> adore my husband, he's the most amazing guy. He's he's a healthy narcissist. Well, I read recently that a lot of celebrities are. Yeah. Well, it's all that, you know, selfies and, you know, <laughs> photos and, 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 and being on stage. My husband's mm. on stage regularly and he can't do that work without having that feeling of, of you know, excitement about look at me. Mm. It's just normal. It's natural. Mm. It's just how you work with that. And I think anyone in a leadership role has to have a certain amount of, you know, those very gentle traits. Mm. Yeah. So don't be scared. And also, um, if there's anyone listening that recognizes that in themselves, don't be freaking out that you also might (laughs) have those traits. Like go and do the work on yourself Mm. so that you can build moments of empathy for others that you're, you know, you're not getting into toxic relationships yourself and you're Mm. not enabling people to keep, you know, keep you in that, in that mold. So, Let's go back to the very start of this, of why we're actually even attracted to people like this in the first place. And how do we shift our attraction points? Like, let's flip this on its head and just say that we've got listeners out there that are single and they can can see and recognise this continuing pattern that they see with other men. And they want to attract guys that are not like this. This is my biggest bit of work that I do in the world with women these days. Shaking them. (laughs) Opening them up. Um, I feel that you need to do the work on yourself. Yeah. You need to understand if you've got self-worth issues, I'm not enough. I'm not important enough. I don't deserve this. I'm not smart enough. You know, all those traits. And there's so many of us that say that I've had to work heavily on my self-worth in order to be where I am today. Mm. And I'm proud that I continually do that work for myself. And everybody that I coach, I always say to them, it's okay to feel that Mm. self-worth is low, but we can build up from there. We can change that wound that's inside of you. And once you start changing it, you start to have compassion for yourself, forgiveness. You start to feel that wound doesn't get so hard. I mean, I I have got mass forgiveness for my parents. Mm. They did the best that they could. And now I realize that they obviously came from trauma backgrounds. Mm. And I love them dearly. I don't have much to do with them, but that's a choice of my own. But I see this regularly in lots of women that I coach is that they've all got the wounded inner child. Yeah. We always reflect back our partners in who we are. Yes. Always. So when we get triggered by somebody else, it's usually a trigger of ourselves. Absolutely. Um, Interesting in regards to that point there that you don't have a lot to do with your parents now. And I feel that obviously attracting in narcissism traits or narcissistic traits in partners will usually stem from parents. And separating and segmenting ourselves from our parents is such a social taboo. 
Yes. It really is. <laughs> it's our family unit should be number one and it never gets um, broken no matter how much your boundaries are crossed. And I mentioned a couple of episodes back or the sisterhood community mm. was that probably my most asked question in regards to how do you, I find like-minded friends? The second question is how the fuck do I get rid of my mother-in-law? Yes. So that is a massive boundary cross and parents. So why as a society do we make women feel like they have to have that strong connection with our family members who may be narcissistic? Yeah, and it's something that I see all of the time, weekly, is it's that... It's such a big issue. Yeah, they feel this, they have to do everything for their parents still. They're still trying to be the little girl winning the love from their parents. Yeah. But if the parents haven't got it and they can't give it, you can't keep doing it. It's going to make you feel ill. Mm. And to let go of it can actually feel really absolutely life-changing. Yeah. Because you then put the mat. You put the boundaries in place so that you're always in control of when you have communication with them and you're always able then to have a good, healthy conversation Mm. with them and know when it's time to stop that conversation. Yeah. And I think that once you do the work on yourself, you can actually start to come in with the forgiveness for that. But I definitely agree. There's so much to boo around this. People Mm. have got this thing where you need to really show up for your parents. You know, they're getting older. And I agree. I agree. But they also choose to continue behaving in that way. So you've got to decide on what kind of level you want to have your parents in your life. It's like that generational trauma and change of breaking a cycle of this is no longer okay for me or my children. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, are they still sat in the trauma? Because, at you know, especially for generations now where your parents might be in their you know, 60s, 70s, they don't understand about how to do the work. Mm. You know, this is really different for them. Yeah. So our world didn't exist when they were young. No. And, and you've got to go in with the empathy for what they've been through, what they've walked through. Yeah. You know, and understand that their generation that they were brought up, there would be far more smacking and disciplined like that. Well, we don't have that so much now these days. It's pretty frowned upon. Yeah. So it's just having coming always from the compassion, the empathy that they did the best that they could. But it doesn't mean you've got to stay, you know, in their pockets still at this age. Yeah, huge, huge lessons there. So I know that when we talk about like green flags, our relationship reflection task um, of having an ideal partner list of what we really want in our partner and who they are and what they embody that I really like to practice um, what I will and won't tolerate. And I think that having a coach and being really accountable helps hugely because you would call me on my bullshit within Absolutely. minutes now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that there is no way that anybody with a red flag would not be told. Um, and that goes for everything. Work situations to like the situation with warehouse. Yes. I um, had conflict in the warehouse and I was like, whoa, like, is this something I've done? Mm. And definitely not any doing of my own. So it was really good to be able to have that coach to be able to say to me, no, no, that's a red flag right there. So for those that are listening at home, what sort of support do you kind of offer to your clients in regards to that? Do you do online coaching circles? Like what do you do? Yeah, so I've got an online coaching group where we do power coaching where mm-hmm. someone comes in, they've got a problem and we'll do it 15 minutes, quick, fast, in and out. And yeah. it's normally quite intense <laughs> and they come away cold, you know, sitting <laughs> afterwards. Um, but that's me really calling it out. Like, yeah. And they, they want that. They want it fast and done because really we all know what the underneath bit is. You don't have to go through all of the, the long, arduous conversations to get to it because you can I can normally see it quite quick um but 
I also do one-on-one coaching with yeah. people and really help them if you've had a really hard traumatic um, childhood. And I always see it when someone breathes with me. Yeah, When they breathe and they come out, most people, because I do so much inner child work within my yeah. breath work, that as soon as you say to somebody, she's in front of you, her arms <laughs> are up to you, look at her face, you've not forgotten her, reconnect to her now, tell her that you're lovely, tell her that you are sorry. And as soon as I say those words, they're like, because <laughs> they realize that they've forgotten who they are. Yeah, because we're so conditioned with what society wants us to be. Yeah, you we always forget that little part of us that's still in the playground. Mm. And as soon as you scoop them up and you tell yourself, I've got this, I'm mm. no different. And the other thing I do is I get you to have a photograph of yourself as a little girl or a little boy <laughs> and you you look at that. And there's no way that you're going to be mean to yourself or, or take bad behaviour or accept it anymore when you're looking at that. Yeah, that's so powerful and so amazing. Now, if today's listeners wanted to find you, where can they find you? At the moment on Instagram mm-hmm. and Nicola Lay. Yep. And soon to be our website will be released soon. Awesome. Now, I've given two really amazing um, book suggestions for this week's bookworm, which um, I'm just going to mention as well. The Why Does He Do That book, there's free PDFs online for those women that are perhaps listening at home that aren't um, in a position to purchase the book or don't want to have it lying around the house. Um, there's free PDFs that you can actually go online and actually find that book um, and the gaslighting book as well. Is there a book suggestion? from you do you have look you know for me at the moment there are some amazing podcasts out there I I had a quick look earlier there is a really good book called why is it always about you the seven deadly sins of narcissism now I cannot find the author but I remember reading this book a long time ago and I found it in one of my coaching um, programs that's a really really good book if you just googled that it would come straight up we'll try and find it and put it in the show notes and the podcast is the narcissist in your life podcast is a really good podcast listen to okay just really around that but if you go into any podcast you'll find other ones that you can really go to there's some great support groups from those podcasts as well which are free okay I'm actually going to try and find a podcast here Um, I'm going to pop it into the show notes as well but it's a really powerful one in regards to setting boundaries and asserting yourself with your mother-in-law I'm really struggling to find it but I'll definitely put it into the um, show notes but yeah it's really 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 powerful one yeah now, if listeners, thank you again for joining us. I really appreciate it. Aww, and all of your expertise. And I know that so many women that you coach go through this exact same thing. And it presents in their life in so many different areas, not just their relationships, but within their careers and friendships and everything. It just keeps popping up. Absolutely. So I guess the take home message here was heal yourself because otherwise you'll keep projecting it back in. Is that totally. correct? Totally. You know, heal the wounds within yourself. Awesome. Yeah. So if listeners want to get involved, the caller hotline is 0756496851 or to continue the conversation on our Flourish and Fulfilled groups, it is simply Flourish and Fulfilled on both Facebook and Instagram. And until next week, bye guys.